بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما Last week we stopped at the point where the Ahbash or the what are modern day known as the Ethiopians they took control of Yemen how did they manage to take control of Yemen the king of Yemen whose name was Dhunuwas and he was the son of the Tubba Tabban As'ad he was a an evil man even though his father was a good man Tabban As'ad was a good man but his youngest son Dhunuwas he was an evil man and he decided to kill those people who believed in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by digging big trenches and lighting those trenches on fire and those people who wouldn't renounce their belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they were thrown in that fire so it is said on that day that Dhunuwas killed 20,000 believers he killed 20,000 believers but one of them was able to escape he killed all of them but one of them was able to escape and his name was Dos Thalaban and they tried to chase him and they tried to catch him but he was able to escape and he was a believer in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so he wanted to find a solution what can we do to avenge those people that Dhunuwas killed he's only one man so he decided to go to the Qaisar and the Qaisar was also a Christian and he was a very powerful ruler of a Christian empire so those thought that if I go and talk to him he's a very powerful man he's much more powerful than the kingdom of Yemen and if he is informed of what Dhunuwas did to the Christians who believed in the religion of Isa salam, if he is informed of what happened to them and how they were brutally killed by being thrown into ditches of fire he will definitely do something about it so he went to the Qaisar and he told him what happened so of course just as those expected the Qaisar was very angry about this and he wanted to do something about it but he told those he said the distance between us and Yemen it's very far so the more efficient way to deal with this is that I will send some of my people with you and you go to Ethiopia you go to Habasha and talk to the Najashi I will send a letter with you as well and I will explain to him what you explained to me and he will help you out with this because the Najashi of Habasha he was also a Christian so those with the messenger of the Qaisar they went to Habasha and they delivered the message of the Qaisar to an Najashi that Dhunuwas he did such and such to the Christians of Yemen he killed them by throwing them into trenches of fire so when the Najashi read this he was very angry and he was very upset and in that correspondence in that letter that the Qaisar sent to Najashi he said please help this man please help those to avenge 
those people who were killed by Dhunuwas. So the Najashi decided to send a big army to Yemen to avenge the murder of these believers. So the Najashi of Habasha, he sent a big army under the control or under the authority of a man named Aryat. His name was Aryat. He was the commander of the army that Najashi sent. And one of the high-ranking officers in that army as well was a man named Abraha. So Aryat was the commander of the army and Abraha was also a high-ranking officer in that army. So the army moves from Habasha and they go to Yemen. And it's not very far. The distance between Habasha to Yemen, it's not very far. So they reach Yemen and this is a huge army. This army that the Najashi sent, it's an army of 70,000 soldiers. An army of 70,000 soldiers. This is something that the Yemenis had never seen before. And their forces were not able to even come close to the power that the Najashi's army had. So of course, the Najashi's army was victorious under the command of Aryat. They were victorious and they won the battle and they were able to take control of Yemen. And that is how Yemen came under control of Habasha. The people of Yemen now, they were not in control of their own land. So Dhunuwas, he wasn't killed in this battle. He tried to flee. He tried to run away. So he went to the sea and he tried to board a boat to go into the sea. But they were chasing, chasing him. The army of the Najashi were chasing him. They wanted to capture him and they wanted to kill him for what he did to those people, for what he did to those Christians. So they were chasing him and they wanted to catch him and they wanted to execute him. And when Dhunuwas, he was in the sea, when he saw that they were almost about to capture him and he knew that being captured would be inevitable, he knew he had no chance to escape, he actually committed suicide. He jumped into the sea and he drowned himself because these people felt it was a very dishonorable thing to be captured by the enemy and they would rather die, even if that means committing suicide, they would rather kill themselves than be captured from the enemy. So this is how Dhunuwas died. He committed suicide by drowning himself into the sea. So that was the end of Yemeni rule to Yemen. Now Habasha has control over Yemen. The Christian Empire of Ethiopia, of Habasha, they have control over Yemen. And Aryat becomes the commander. He's the commander of the military, so he becomes the de facto ruler of Yemen. Like, you know, when a military coup happens, it's the commander of the military who becomes the ruler of the state. So, this is exactly what happened in this situation. Aryat, who was the commander of the Habashi military, he became the head of state in Yemen. And sadly, Aryat was also a very evil man. He was a very oppressive man. And he did vulm and injustice to not only the Yemenis, but even to his own people. Like we said, it was an army of 70,000 people. So those 70,000 people, now they're there, they're settled in Yemen as well. So he's doing vulm on the actual Arabs of Yemen, and he is doing vulm on his own people as well. He is an oppressive ruler who doesn't deal with anyone with justice. 
So Abraha, Abraha is noticing this, that this man now he became powerful. He has rule over the people and he's abusing his power. He's treating the Yemenis bad and he's even treating us bad, his own people, his own army. He's treating us with oppression and injustice. So Abraha was able to get a few members of the military to defect to his side. And he wanted to stage a military coup against Ariyat. And he was able to get a lot of support, a good amount of support from the military. Because he was also a pretty high-ranking officer in that military. So he got ready his army and Ariyat got ready those people who stayed in support of him. And they prepared for civil war. So it was one part of the Habashi army against the other part of the Habashi army. And the Yemenis, the locals, they had nothing to do with this. It was one group of Habashis against another group of Habashis. The people who stayed in support of Ariyat against the people who defected to the side of Abraha. So they got ready to fight. But before they started the battle, Abraha requested to have a face-to-face -face meeting <coughs> with Ariyat. Perhaps they could discuss this civilized way and perhaps they could come to some type of a solution without actually having to fight. So Abraha requests a meeting with Ariyat without any weapons. Abraha says, I will take off my weapons and you take off your weapons and we will just talk man to man. So Ariyat agrees to this. So Abraha and Ariyat sit down and they have a conversation. So Abraha tells Ariyat, he says, look, we, if we fight, this will be our own people destroying our own people. And the Yemenis, they have nothing to do with this. So you, your forces are going to kill my people and my forces are going to kill your people. In the end, we are both going to be the losers because then the Habashi dominion of this nation will become so weak because we will have lost so many men that the Yemenis again, they're going to come and they're going to take over their land. So if we fight, no matter what the outcome, whether you win or I win, in the end, both of us are going to lose because we will be so weakened by this war that the Yemenis are going to take over again. So this is not in your interest or my interest that we actually fight. We shouldn't fight in this way with our armies fighting each other. So Ariyat says, yes, this makes sense what you're saying, but what is your solution? How do we solve this problem between you and me? He said, instead of having our armies fight each other, let you and me fight each other one-on-one. -on -one. We'll have a duel. Forget about the armies. You and me, man to man. So Ariyat says, okay, I agree to it. So they both get their weapons ready and they fight. They fight a duel. And in the beginning of the fight, Ariyat, he is able to get a good hit on Abraha. He tries to cut off his neck, but Abraha is able to move just in time, and instead of cutting his neck, his nose gets cut. So Abraha's nose gets cut off. And that's why he became known after that as Abrahatul Ashram, meaning Abraha, the one with the cut nose. So he lost his nose early on in the duel. But he was able to overcome that, and towards the end of the fight, he was able to get power over Ariyat, he was able to overcome him, and in the end, Abraha defeated Ariyat. Abraha killed Ariyat. 
So now Ariyat is gone. Abraha is victorious. None of the army is hurt or killed because they didn't even fight. <coughs> and Abraha becomes the new ruler of Yemen. So now Abraha is in charge of Yemen. And he has a huge army at his disposal as well because they didn't even fight. So he rules Yemen in this way. Eventually, news of what happened between Abraha and Ariyat, it reaches the Najashi back in Habasha. And when the Najashi hears this news that his commander that he put in charge to rule Yemen was killed by another member of the same military, when Najashi gets this message and he hears this news, he becomes very angry. He says, how dare Abraha thinks that he can kill the one that I appointed to rule that land. He is overstepping his bounds and he is trying to go over my authority because I am the one who put Ariyat in charge. So what right did he have to, to organize some of the members of the army against him and try to fight him and eventually he actually killed him without even taking any counsel or permission from me? So Najashi was very, very angry. He was very mad. And he swore, he made an oath. He said, I will go to Yemen. I will not come back to Habasha. He swore, he swore, I will not come back to Habasha until with my own two feet, I step on the dirt of Yemen and I take the hair of Abraha off of his head. And this was considered a sign of humiliation. When they wanted to humiliate a person, they would shave their head and take the hair. This was considered a sign of humiliating someone. So because Najashi was so mad, he said, I will myself go and step on the earth of Yemen. I will step on the dirt of Yemen with my own two feet and I will take the hair of Abraha to humiliate him. So he organized his army. He sent 70,000 people of his army to Yemen, but he still had a huge army at his disposal back there in Habasha. So he prepared his army to go into Yemen. Before he was, before he was near Yemen, before he entered Yemen, the news came to Abraha that yes, Najashi is coming and he's really mad and this is what he's planning to do to you. He made an oath that he would not return to Habasha until he, with his own two feet, stepped on the earth of Yemen and got your hair. So now, Abraha is very scared. He panicked. He said, oh, what am I going to do? There's no way that I will be able to withstand the forces of the Najashi himself. So he made up a plan. He said, okay, he took some of the dirt of Yemen himself and he shaved his own hair himself. Then he sent a messenger to go and meet the Najashi before he entered Yemen. He said, take my hair that I just shaved and take this sample of the earth of Yemen and go to Najashi before he enters Yemen and give him my message. My message is that, Ya Najashi, I have the utmost loyalty and respect for you and I am still your follower and I am your servant. But the only reason why I did this to Ariyat is because he was doing zulm, he was doing oppression on your own people, on your army. Ariyat was oppressing them and treating them unjustly. So I did this, you know, for our own people. And I did this in service of you. So he kissed up to him basically in this message. And the Najashi, he accepted it. 
And then he continued on in the message saying, look, I have sent my hair to you and I have sent some sample of the earth of Yemen. So you don't have to even break your oath. You have my hair and you have the dirt of Yemen. Just put your feet on it, step on it, and you, you will have fulfilled your oath. So you don't have to even come if you accept this. And Najashi, he was actually satisfied with this. He said, yeah, he seems to still be loyal to me. And you know, if I go into Yemen and we fight, then there will be a lot of bloodshed. A lot of innocent people are going to die. What, there's really no need to do this. He seems to still have much loyalty towards me and I don't think he is going to betray me. So, okay, let him lead Yemen. Let him stay in charge of Yemen. And the Najashi, he went back. So once he did this, and the Najashi went back to Habasha, Abraha was relieved, of course. But he still had some fear in his heart. Because, of course, this was all done through the messenger. Abraha and the Najashi, they didn't meet face to face for this meeting. So he was still kind of afraid. He was like, okay, things are calmed down for now, but maybe the Najashi, he's planning something. Maybe he's just keeping the status quo for now, but eventually he's going to come and try to get me out of rule and he's going to try to replace me or something. So this paranoia and this fear started developing in Abraha. So he wanted to do something to show the Najashi what high esteem he holds him in what high respect and veneration he has for the Najashi. He wanted to do something to symbolize his loyalty towards the Najashi. So he orders for a huge church to be built in Yemen. Abraha orders for a big church to be built in Yemen. Very big and very intricate and, you know, very dazzling, this church. So he built this big church in honor of the Najashi and he sent a message to the Najashi. He said, Ya Najashi, I built this huge, beautiful church in Yemen for you, in your honor, and I am going to order all of the Arabs from the different tribes of the Arabs to come and make pilgrimage to this church. I'm going to order all of them to make pilgrimage to this church. The Arabs should come and make pilgrimage to this church. And this is an honor to you, ya, ya Najashi. So he wanted to do this just to show his respect for the Najashi. So the Najashi would not do anything to take away his rule. So he built this church. And he actually tried to order the different tribes of the Arabs to come and make pilgrimage to this church. So he sent the orders to the different tribes of the Arabs. And one of the groups of the Arabs that this order reached, they were called Ahlun Nasi. Ahlun Nasi. And the word Nasi in Arabic, it means delay. It means delay. And why were they called Ahlun Nasi? They were a group of Arabs, these people, who had the utmost respect for the Kaaba, for the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They venerated the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They respected the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even though they were not muwahideen, they were not people of Tawheed. And you know that the Kaaba was built by Ibrahim alayhi salam. And then after many years, shirk came back into the Arabian Peninsula, as we spoke about before. So they were worshipping idols and they were worshipping other things as well, but they still kept their respect for the Kaaba. 
they still respected the Kaaba and they still used to make tawaf around the Kaaba, they used to make sa'i, they used to do all of these things. So they still kept their respect for the Kaaba even though they were mushrikeen. They associated partners and idols with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Ahlul Nasi were a group of Arabs who had the utmost respect for the Kaaba and they were well respected amongst the Arabs as well. The Arabs gave them a very high position, these people. And the reason why they were called Ahlun Nasi, and we said Nasi, it means delay, is because there were four months, and there still are four months in the calendar that are considered Al Ashhurul Hurum. They are sacred months. And those months are Rajab, Dhul Qa'da, Dhul Hijjah, and Muharram. These are called Al Ashhurul Hurum. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made these four months holy and sacred the day that he created the heavens and the earth. Surely the number of months with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is 12 months from the day that he created the heavens and the earth. Out of these 12 months, four of them are sacred. And from the sacredness of those four months, is that it is not allowed to start a war or start fighting during those four months. It is not allowed to start a war or to start any type of conflict during those four months. Defense is okay. If somebody aggressed upon you and somebody started a war against you, you have the right to fight back and defend yourself. But during those four months, it's not allowed to start the fighting. So the Arabs, as you know, as you probably know from the last few weeks that we have been talking about their history, they were a people who always were involved in some type of fighting. Some type of war was always going on. This is the way that they lived their lives. So these four months, Al-Ashhurul Hurum, Rajab, Dhul Qa'da, Dhul Hijjah, and Muharram. Rajab is separate. Rajab is on its own. But the other three, Dhul Qa'da, Dhul Hijjah, and Muharram, they all come consecutively in a row. So three consecutive months without any fighting, it was very difficult for the Arabs to be patient and not fight for three consecutive months. So they wanted to find a way to get around this prohibition. So they appointed this group of Arabs that with their permission, they could switch Muharram and Safar. So instead of Dhul Qa'da, Dhul Hijjah, Muharram, if the Ahlul Nasi, if this group of Arabs, if they agree in certain years, they can switch Muharram and Safar. So it will be Dhul Qa'da, Dhul Hijjah, two months, no fighting. But if, if they really needed to fight after that, then okay, no Muharram, it will be Safar first. And then after that, Muharram will come. So they can switch the place of Muharram and Safar. Can you believe the way that these people try to play around with the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So the people that were given the authority by the Arabs to do this, they became known as Ahlun Nasi. And if they decided to switch Muharram and Safar, they would do that. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about this, so these people, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about them, They're already kuffar. They're not even Muslims. 
But doing this, playing this game of nasi, of delaying, delaying Muharram until after Safar and switching the places, this is an addition to their kufr. They're already kufar, and on top of that, they're also doing a nasi. They're also playing around with the months. So this group of Arabs, they were known as Ahlun Nasi, and they used to play this game. They were the ones who the Arabs used to go to to get that permission to play around with the months like this. And they became known as Ahlun Nasi. And they were known as the people who had the greatest respect for the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They had respect for the Kaaba. So when this order from Abraha, Al-Ashram, when it reached the Ahlun Nasi, and these were the people who had great respect for the Kaaba, so they're getting this order, you have to go to Yemen and you have to make a pilgrimage to Qulais. Qulais was the name of the church that Abraha had built. So you have to come and you have to make pilgrimage to Qulais. So when they received this order, they were like, what is this Qulais? He thinks we're going to come and we're going to make pilgrimage to Qulais, to this church that he built. He thinks that that can take the place of the Kaaba. They got very angry. They got offended. How dare he thinks that we're going to do something like this. So one of them, one of the Ahlul Nasi, he snuck into Yemen and he went to Qulais in the night when nobody was around. And he entered it and he used the bathroom. He defecated in there, right in the open there. And then he took that defecation of his and he rubbed it all over the walls and you know the sides of the church and everything. He, he basically defiled the whole place to humiliate Abraha and to humiliate this place that he thought he could order the people to make pilgrimage to. So when Abraha came to know about it and he came and he saw it, he saw what actually happened to this place that he built and how it had been defiled. He asked angrily, who did this? And then it was said, it was someone, someone from Ahlun Nasi. And then he said, who are they? Who are Ahlun Nasi? And then it was replied to him, they are a group of the Arabs who have a great veneration and respect for the Kaaba in Mecca. Then Abraha asked, what is the Kaaba? What are you talking about? He said, it is the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Mecca that the Arabs, they make pilgrimage to it every year. So when Abraha heard this, he knew that the Arabs who have such great respect for the Kaaba in Mecca, they would never accept his command. They would never follow his order to make pilgrimage to Qulais unless the Kaaba was destroyed. So he saw that the Kaaba was an impediment in his way to get the people to come and make pilgrimage to Qulais. So from that point, he decided that he would destroy the Kaaba. He decided to destroy the Kaaba. So he gathered an army with the intention to go to Mecca and to destroy the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to destroy the Kaaba. And with him, he took an elephant with him. Abraha took an elephant with him on his journey from Yemen to Mecca. And the name of this ele elephant was Mahmud. And when he left Yemen, Abraha kept his son in charge. He kept his son in charge of Yemen while he left to go to Mecca. So he organized a big army. He took his el this elephant, Mahmud, and they were on their way to Mecca. Now, of course, the Arabs, they are aware of what Abraha is trying to do. It's not a secret. They know that he's coming from Yemen on the way to Mecca to destroy the Kaaba. And the Arabs, 
they were not going to let him do this without a fight. They were not going to just say, okay, go ahead and do it. No. They were going to put their utmost resistance against him and try their best to stop him from doing this. But as we know, Abraha commanded a very strong army. His army was not a small army. It was a big and powerful army. So on his way, he's going from Yemen on the way to Mecca. There was a man, a great man from the Arabs. He was a very well-respected man. His name was Dhu Nafar. And Dhu Nafar, he had a small army of Arabs. And they said that, okay, whatever happens, we know that his army is much bigger than ours, but we can't just let him go unimpeded. We have to try. We have to do something. So on his way from Yemen to Mecca, the army, the small army of Dhu Nafar confronted Abraha. And they fought. They fought. And Abraha's army was easily able to overcome the army of Dhu Nafar. So they took Dhu Nafar as a prisoner. They didn't kill him, but they took him as a prisoner and they made him accompany, him, uh, they made him accompany them on the way to Mecca. So he was a prisoner now with them. So they continue to go on the path. And Dhu Nafar is with them as well as a prisoner. Now another group of Arabs also stops them and tries to fight them on the way. And the leader of this group, he was a man named Nufail al-Khuth'umi. And he had a group of people from his tribe, from the tribe of Khuth'um, who tried to stop Abraha from continuing on his way to Mecca. But again, Abraha's army was able to overcome them as well. And they took Nufail al-Khuth'umi as a prisoner as well. So now they have, uh, they have Dhu Nafar and they have Nufail. So they have Nufail al-Khuth'umi and they have Dhu Nafar as two prisoners on their way. So they continue on their way. Now, they finally reach Ta'if. So they're very close to Mecca now. Ta'if is not far from Mecca. Now when they reach Ta'if, the sad thing is that the people of Ta'if, they showed a very cowardly attitude compared to Dhu Nafar and Nufail al-Khuth'umi. The people of Ta'if, the tribe of Thaqif, they showed a very cowardly response to Abraha. And they were afraid for themselves. They didn't want Abraha to destroy their city and kill their people. So they said, okay, you want to go to Mecca and destroy Mecca? We're not going to stand in your way. You go right ahead and do that. And the extent of their treason was so much that they actually offered Abraha. They said, we'll even send one of our people to go with you to show you how to get to Mecca, to show you Mecca from here. So there was a man named Abu Rughal. Abu Rughal, he actually volunteered. He said, yeah, I'll go with them. I'll show, I'll show them Mecca, no problem. So this was a huge treachery and betrayal that these people showed, and specifically Abu Rughal. So Abu Rughal, he accompanies the army of Abraha, and they're going from Ta'if towards Mecca. And Abu Rughal is actually showing them the way, how to get to Mecca. He really guides them as he said he would. And just before they reach Mecca, they're close to Mecca, Abu Rughal, he dies. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused him to die. And he is buried there. 
Abu Raghal is buried on the way from Taif to Mecca. And later on in the years that came, the place where Abu Raghal was buried, his grave, it became a place where the Arabs would come to stone. They would come to the grave of, of Abu Raghal and they would stone that grave because of this man's betrayal and his treachery that he helped the enemies of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala try to come and destroy the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it became a place where the Arabs would come and stone. So finally, Abraha, he reaches the outskirts of Mecca with his big army. And on the outskirts of Mecca, there are people grazing their camels. There are people that are grazing their camels. And Abraha and his army, they seize all of those camels. They take all of those camels. And included in those camels were 200 camels of Abdul Muttalib. 200 camels of Abdul Muttalib. And you know who Abdul Muttalib is? He is the grandfather of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So 200 camels of Abdul Muttalib and other camels for the other people of Mecca, Abraha and his army, they confiscate all of them and they take them. And they come into Mecca. So Abdul Muttalib, he sees what's happening. He sees this, this Habashi man with a huge army. He has come into Mecca. And he wants to have a face-to-face -face meeting with Abraha. So he tries to arrange a meeting. He said, I am the leader of the people of Mecca. And Abdul Muttalib, he was the leader of Mecca without any question. I mean, nobody even would think of coming towards his place in authority. Abdul Muttalib was without question the leader of Mecca and everyone of Mecca, they respected him as their leader. So as the leader of Mecca, Abdul Muttalib requested a face-to-face -face meeting with the commander of this army that had come in, Abraha. But Abraha, he refused to meet anyone. Abraha said, no, I'm not interested to meet anyone. I'm going to do what I came to do here. Destroy the Kaaba." So he refuses this meeting and Abdul Muttalib, he's, he doesn't know what to do. He really wants to talk to him. So he goes to Dhu Nafar. Dhu Nafar, as we mentioned, he was the first prisoner that Abraha had taken on his way from Yemen to Mecca. So he's still there with the army and he's still imprisoned. So Abdul Muttalib, he goes to Dhu Nafar and he says, he says to Dhu Nafar, he says, you know, I, I really want to meet uh, Abraha, uh, do you have any suggestions for me? You have been accompanying this army and this people, you know, for a long time now. So maybe you have some idea, what can I do to get a face-to-face -face meeting with Abraha? And then Dhunafar says, you know, I'm just a prisoner. I really can't do anything myself, but I have one idea for you. I have noticed while I'm traveling with this army that Abraha is very close to the one who is in charge of the elephant, the elephant trainer. Remember, Abraha had an elephant with him, and with that elephant, he had someone who knew how to command the elephant. They had someone who was experienced in ordering elephants, and this man's name was Unais. So, Dhu Nafar tells Abdul Muttalib that I noticed that Abraha is very close to Unais. Abraha. He's very close to the, the elephant trainer, Unais. So if you can get Unais to arrange a meeting between Abraha and yourself, I think it will work. And I can probably talk to Unais about this on your behalf because during our travels, during our walks, during 
this journey that we have gone from Yemen all the way to Mecca. I have also had some conversations with Unais. And you know, we have been able to speak and he listens to me and we talk sometimes. So maybe I can talk to Unais and Unais can talk to Abraha to arrange a meeting with you. So Abdul Muttalib says, okay, please, please try to do that. So Dhu Nafar says, okay. And Dhu Nafar talks to Unais and he says, you know, this leader of these people in the city of Mecca, he wants to have a meeting with Abraha. So maybe you can talk to Abraha and maybe he will agree if you, if you tell him. So Unais goes back to Abraha and Abraha agrees. He says, okay, I'll meet with him. So when Abdul Muttalib came to meet Abraha, Abraha was sitting on a, on a throne, on a portable throne that they used to carry with them on their travel. So Abraha is sitting up on that throne. When Abdul Muttalib comes in and Abraha sees him for the first time, he is struck with awe. Abdul Muttalib was a person, if you just see him, you will automatically have reverence and respect for this man. Some people, you just see them and you automatically feel a respect for them. So Abdul Muttalib was one of these type of people. He was very handsome, very good looking, and he just commanded a type of respect to everyone that just laid eyes on him. They automatically respected him. So when he came in the room and Abraha saw him, Abraha actually got off of his throne. And he sat down on the floor with Abdul Muttalib. He didn't tell Abdul Muttalib to sit down while he stayed on his throne. Out of respect, he actually sat down himself and sat with Abdul Muttalib on the floor. So then Abraha asked him, yes, you wanted to speak to me. What do you want? And Abdul Muttalib said, you know, when you came into the city, the people were grazing their camels and your army, they confiscated all of those camels and included in those camels were 200 of my camels. So I just came here to ask you to please give us our camels back. That's it. So then Abraha, he's surprised because he was expecting something else. And he's also angry. He felt disrespected by this. He said, you know, when you came into this room, I had respect for you by seeing you. But now you ask me this type of a question. You know, I came here to destroy the house that you guys go to, to worship Allah. I came to destroy that house. And all you can ask me about is your camels? What is this? And then Abdul Muttalib said, you know, these camels, they're my camels and my people's camels. This is our responsibility. We are the owners and we have to take care of these things. So that's why I'm asking you for this. As for the house that you want to destroy, that is the house of Allah. Inna lihazal bayti rabban yahmi. Surely, for this house, for the house of Allah, there is a Lord that will protect it. I don't need to protect it. You want to go and try to destroy it? You know, that's not my business. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the owner of that house and he will take care of his house. So I'm not worried about that. I'm just worried about my camels and my people's camels. So will you release our camels? And Abraha agrees. He says, okay, I'll release your camels. You can have your camels. And then Abraha continues to say to Abdul Muttalib, he says, you know, I didn't come here to hurt you or to hurt your people or to kill anyone. I don't want to harm anyone. I just came here for one purpose, to destroy the Kaaba. I will destroy the Kaaba and then I will leave. And you guys can go back to your life, okay? So while I'm here and while we're destroying the Kaaba, I advise you and all the people of Mecca, just leave the city. Leave Mecca for now. Let us do what we want to do. And then once we leave, come back in, go on with your lives. So Abdul Muttalib, 
he goes out and he orders all of the people of Mecca. He says, leave Mecca, get out of the city. So they all leave the city and they go onto the mountains. You know, Mecca is a city that is surrounded by mountains. So they all go up on the mountains so they can still see what's going on. So they can see what's going on. So Abraha and his army now, they start their mission to destroy the Kaaba. So they come close to the Kaaba. And the elephant that is with them, Mahmoud Abraha, orders the elephant to go and start with the destruction of the Kaaba, to go and come, go to the Kaaba and start breaking it down, this huge elephant. So the elephant actually gets up and it starts walking in the direction of the Kaaba. At this point, Nufail, Nufail al-Khuth'umi, the second prisoner who they had taken with them, he is able to get loose from his chains. He's able to get loose from his chains just as Mahmoud, the elephant, is walking towards the Kaaba. And he runs up to Mahmoud, to the elephant. And he says, Ya Mahmoud, kneel down. This is the house of Allah. This is the house of Allah. Kneel down. Don't do it. So immediately when he says this, Mahmoud, he sits down. And they try to get him up and he refuses to get up. So Unais, the trainer of the elephant, he comes to him and he tries to get him up. And finally he's able to get him up. So the elephant gets back up. And then they order him to continue moving forward, but now he won't move forward. He's up, but he won't move forward towards the Kaaba. And when the trainer, when Unais turns him in another direction towards Yemen or towards this, towards the right or towards the left, he walks. He walks in every direction. But when you face him towards the Kaaba, he doesn't walk. He just stands still. So they start to get confused. Okay, what are we going to do now? Their whole reason why we got this elephant is that so it would start in the destruction of the Kaaba. So while they're trying to figure out what to do about this elephant, they see some darkness in the sky, like some big black, like cloud-like thing, a swarm coming in the sky. And when it comes closer, they realize that it is these small birds coming. And these are the Ababil. And each one of these birds, they had three stones with them. One in the mouth and one in each one of the legs. So they come, and that's a huge army, huge, huge army, but a huge, huge number of birds as well. So they drop those stones on the members of Abraha's army. And when a stone hits any one of them, what happens is that the meat and the flesh on the body of that person, it just like falls off of their bones. The stone hits them and the meat, the flesh, it just dissociates itself from the body and they die like that. So now Abraha, he's seeing this happening to his army. He isn't hit yet, but he sees this, these stones raining down and all of his army dying immediately. So he tries to make a run for it. He tries to escape, but while he is trying to escape, he gets hit by a stone as well and he is destroyed as well. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala destroyed every single member of Abraha's army including Abraha himself. And it was witnessed by all of the people of Mecca from around those mountains. They saw this happen. And of course it increased their respect for the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It increased their respect for the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this incident in the Quran. Alam tara kayfa fa'ala rabbuka bi ashabil fil. Alam yaj'al kaydahum fi tadlil. 
وأرسل عليهم طيرا أبابيل ترميهم بحجارة من سجيل فجعلهم كعصف مأكول So this surah is about this incident of how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala destroyed Abraha and his army. And the Arabs in those days, they didn't have a numerical calendar. The years that they had, they weren't numbered. Like for example, in the Gregorian calendar this year, we're in 2016. In the Hijri calendar, it's 1438. But in those days, no, they didn't used to have a numerical year like that. They used to name the years according to incidents that happened in those years. So the year that this happened was known as Amul Fil, the year of the elephant. Amul Fil. So they would say, oh yeah, this incident happened in Amul Fil. This incident, it happened two years before Amul Fil. This incident, it happened three years after Amul Fil. So any big incident that would happen, they would condition their calendar around those incidents. So the Amul Fil, the incident of the elephant, it was a huge incident in the history of the Arabs. So it was a significant event that became a major part of their calendar. And the significant, one of the great significances of this year is that it is the year that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam was born in this year. The year that Abraha tried to come and destroy the Kaaba, the year that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala destroyed Abraha and his army, the year that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected his house, this is the year that the greatest man that ever walked on the face of this earth was born. The year of the birth of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And inshallah next week we will get into that bi-ithnillah. Wallahu a'lam wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.